For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the neural quantum processor. Because this is an audio ad, unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. What is happening, everybody? It is Friday, and I'm about to be breaking down the upcoming UFC card headlined by Rob Font and Corey Sanhagen. And we're coming off a pretty good event from last week, which I'm going to recap in a second. But first, as you guys come in, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And we are sponsored here by DraftKings Rainmakers. So shout out to them. And if you guys haven't checked out Rainmakers over at DraftKings, there's a link below that if you guys click on it, it is going to take you over to DraftKings and their marketplace. And you get a totally free PGA starters pack. So if you haven't claimed that yet, Go ahead and do it because you're going to get a stud golfer of your choosing like John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, and then a handful of other golfers totally for free to build out a PGA Rainmakers lineup. So it's a chance to win some free money without any risk to yourself. So why not take advantage of it and claim that starters pack below? And uh, before we get into talking about this week's slate, just want to do a quick recap of UFC 291 because it was a good one for me. We ended up winning uh, the biggest bet that I had on the card, which was Derek Lewis to win by KO over Marcos Roger de Lima, who's my favorite underdog play on the card. And then also, I did really well in the Rainmaker Street, which we're going to cover a little bit over the course of this show. going to be talking about my favorite plays for classic DraftKings contests, but also highlighting some of the top Rainmakers fighters that I'm targeting for this week. And we'll build the Rainmakers lineup out as well at the end. Uh, but yeah, just a recap of my lineup here. And a couple things that we talked about on the show last week that really helped me here. Number one, I was rotating between Gaethje and Poirier, primarily as my captain plays. And then I had Derek Lewis as an underdog who wasn't really paired with some of the popular fighters as much. And then, like I talked about last week, trying to pivot off of Bonefim a little bit with some of the other options that were fairly likely to win inside the distance or to put up good scores. So fighters like Miranda Maverick and Jake Matthews ended up being really good pivots off of Bonefim and ended up outscoring him. So Ended up being a really good slate last week and been on a good run so far. So hopefully the last couple of weeks carry over to this week and we have another good event here. And let's start breaking it down. Starting with the main event, Corey Sanhagen taking on Rob Font. Also, Rob Font is going to be taking this fight on short notice. It was originally supposed to be Corey Sanhagen taking on Umar Nurmagomedov. And much different fight for Corey Sanhagen, obviously. Going to be fighting a more striker-based fighter in Rob Font as opposed to fighting Umar Namagomedov. Also, Umar was going to be around a minus 300 favorite against Sanhagen. So we didn't really get to see the line move a whole bunch because of how quickly the fight fell apart after it was made official. But at the time that the fight came down, Umar was about a minus 330 to minus 300 favorite over Corey Sanhagen. And now that is where Sanhagen is favored about over Rob Font. And I agree with the odds. I did really strongly consider betting Corey Sandhagen by KO in this spot, but the reason I ultimately didn't is because I was a little concerned about a club and sub, a situation where Sandhagen maybe hurts Rob Font but doesn't put him out clean, jumps on him on the mat and gets a submission. I think that's a possibility. And then if you look at him just inside the distance, it's plus 130, which is not enough of a favorable line for me to bet on it. But my pick in this fight is going to be Corey Sandhagen 
by knockout. And if you just look at some of the striking stats, both of them really high output. So the winner should score well in this fight, but I lean really heavily towards Sanhagen, especially with Rob Font taking this fight on short notice. If you look at some of the striking stats here, you know, the volume has gone a little bit more in favor of Rob Font over the course of their careers, landing 6.46 significant strikes per minute to 5.98 for Sanhagen. And Sanhagen, a little bit better defensively, doesn't get hit quite as often as Rob Font. But there should be a pretty big size advantage for Sanhagen being three inches taller than Rob Font. Font actually does have a slight reach advantage, but Sanhagen uses all his weapons really well. He's a super well-rounded striker, throws a lot of kicks, knees, spinning back kicks, stuff like that on the feet. And I do think it's going to help him keep distance against Rob Font. Both of them have great jabs, but I do think the fact that Sanhagen being three inches taller and Rob Font having to reach up to punch him is going to negate at least that one inch reach advantage there. And Sanhagen also going to the kicks more often than Rob Font does, I think is also going to help him keep this fight out of range. And I do get concerned about Rob Font's durability. And even though it's not like he's getting finished in his fights, he's getting hurt and frequently. So his last couple of fights, the fight against Adrian Yanez ended really early. Font looked really good in that. But the fight against Marlon Vera, Font was winning that fight early. He wins the first round. And then you start to look at some of the rounds past that. He gets hurt in the second round and drop, gets hurt in the third round and drop, gets hurt in the fourth round and drop. Didn't officially get dropped in the fifth round, but got hurt and nearly was put out on his feet in that fifth and final round against Marlon Vera. And the fight before that for Rob Font, was kind of more of the same against Jose Aldo, who's now retired. If you look at the striking stats, Rob Font nearly doubles up Aldo on the significant strikes, 149 to 86. But it was also a fight that played out really similarly to the Vera fight in that Rob Font's winning most of the exchanges early on in a lot of those rounds. And then he's getting hurt and knocked down at the end of a lot of those rounds. And so even though we haven't seen Rob Font put out in any of his recent matchups, he's been dropped enough times that I do have some concerns about the durability. He's taking the fight on short notice. They had to do it at catchweight because he wasn't going to be able to cut all the weight to officially get down to 135 pounds. We saw them weigh in at 139 and 139 and a half pounds on the scale today. I just get concerned how prepared Rob Font is going to be for this matchup, combined with the fact that Corey Sanhagen has looked absolutely on fire in some of his recent fights. And like I said, some of the durability concerns that I have with Rob Font. So Corey Sanding is going to be my most exposed fighter on the entire card. I'm picking him to win inside the distance. I'll go with a third round KO for Corey Sanhagen. He's my favorite fighter to target for Rainmaker's purposes as well. If we go ahead and look at the co-main event between Jessica Andrade and Tatiana Suarez, I'll be honest, this is a fight that's really hard for me to know what to make of because there are so many intangibles in this fight so many things that are going to be impacting it beyond just what some of the data and the numbers show us because Jessica Andrade who's been incredibly active this year she has fought already three times she had the fight against Lauren Murphy where she just ran through Lauren Murphy put on a hellacious beating on her it had no reason to continue into the third round but it kept going Jessica Andrade lands 231 significant strikes in that fight she takes on a late notice fight against Aaron Blanchfield and she gets subbed in the second round she takes on Another late notice fight here against Yan Nan. She gets knocked out in the first round. So she didn't look good in either of those fights, but they were both elite competition. And prior to that, she was on a three-fight win streak. And if you do look now, I mean, over the course of the last year, this is going to be about her fifth fight in about a year and a couple months change time here. So Andrade has been super active, but hasn't really had a lot of time to prepare for these fights. And that's going to be the same case here against Tatiana Suarez. It is another fight that Jessica Andrade is taking on short notice because Suarez was scheduled to fight against Verna Janjidoba, and Janjidoba had to pull out. So here comes Jessica Andrade to save the day because that's what she always does. 
Now, Tatiana Suarez, at a point in time, I was positive was going to become a 115-pound champion, but all kinds of issues for Suarez. We know in her past, she's had cancer at one point. She's had back injuries. She tore ACL. She had a a back. I don't remember if I said back injury. I might have said that already. She also had a concussion issue where she had to pull out of a fight. So overall, we saw a massive amount of time between fights, about three and a half years that Tatiana Suarez was out of the octagon. She comes back against Montana De La Rosa. And to be honest, she wins the fight. She gets a second round submission. She looked pretty terrible in that fight, though, relative to expectations of Tatiana Suarez, you know. Good win coming back. So now here's what I'm struggling with. Did Suarez look bad in that fight because of the long layoff? Did she look bad in that fight because of just all these injuries and health concerns that are mounting? It's kind of hard to know. And then Jessica Andrade is by far the toughest matchup we've ever seen Tatiana Suarez have in her entire career. If we see peak Tatiana Suarez, it's a terrible matchup for Jessica Andrade because we've seen Andrade not look great defensively in the grappling department in multiple of her fights, especially recently, the fight against Aaron Blanchfield. Blanchfield, once she took her down, she was able to submit Andrade nearly immediately. If we go and look at the stats there, in the second round where she got submitted, yeah, it was a takedown in 24 seconds it took for Aaron Blanchfield to submit Jessica Andrade. So you have to consider that is a pretty likely outcome if we see Tatiana Suarez easily take down Jessica Andrade, but... Suarez did kind of struggle to get Montana De La Rosa down in their fight, and Jessica Andrade is considerably stronger than Montana De La Rosa. So there's just all these intangibles here. I'm picking Tatiana Suarez to win for Rainmaker's purposes. She has a ton of upside. We don't have to worry about the pricing at all there. But if we're talking about classic contests, like I like taking shots at Jessica Andrade as an underdog. I have never played in DFS in any of Tatiana Suarez's fights. I've never had exposure to a fighter going up against her. And I've almost been all in on Tatiana Suarez in every time that she's ever fought, but I'm going to fight. I'm going to approach this fight a little bit differently just because I have so many unknowns about the health of Tatiana Suarez and the fact that she just didn't look great in her time off. If she looks great in this fight, then we can just kind of chalk up her last fight against Montana De La Rosa, do a little bit of ring rust. But I don't know if that's going to be the case. And we've also seen Tatiana Suarez gas at some points in her career. Like for instance, she clearly lost the third round of her fight against Nina Nunes. Now, that fight was in June of 2019. So, you know, we're talking about over four years ago that that fight happened. But still, I do worry if this fight gets extended, if Suarez does not get the early finish against Andrade, what does she look like in the second or third round? And we know that Jessica Andrade did not slow down in her fight. So hard to not pick Tatiana Suarez to win. I pick her to win by submission. But if she does not get that early submission, I would not at all be surprised to Jessica Andrade rally back potentially get a second or third round KO over Tatiana Suarez. So strongly towards Suarez, going to play more of her in Rainmakers, but don't totally rule out Jessica Andrade either. Looking through the Dustin Jacoby, Kennedy, and Sechiku fight, I view this as being really close to a coin flip. I don't have a strong lean on either side. Kennedy and Sechiku, sometimes he shows up and be like, oh, this guy's a really good developing prospect. And then other times you just see him look like absolute dog shit in some of his fights. Like the fight, for instance, against, where is it? Uh, Danilo Marquez. I know that ended up being a win for Kennedy and Sechiku because he got the third round finish. But before then, he was just getting out grappled by Danilo Marquez and looked totally lost. The first round, we just saw Marquez get back control up against the cage and the fight just stalled out in that spot. He got knocked out through the guard just with elbows against Dawoon Jung in that fight. So it's been really inconsistent performances with Kennedy and Sechiku. He has looked a little bit better as of late, but this is a fight that I don't really expect to score super highly. 
And then also, I don't have a real clear feel for who's going to end up winning the fight. So I think this fight is most likely to go the distance, and it could be just a striking-based affair where the winner doesn't score all that well. So a low-interest fight for me. And by the way, just to get ahead of ourselves here, I feel the exact same against uh, uh, the exact same about the fight between Tanner Bozer and Alexa Kamer. There was a point where Kamer was considered to be a highly rated prospect, but a lot of that had to do with him training with Stipe Miocic, and it just hasn't really showed in terms of his results in the octagon. He looked terrible in his fight against William Knight. He looked terrible in his loss against Nikolai Negomarianu. And William Knight, think now what we know about William Knight. No longer on the UFC roster. He also was somebody who looked terrible in his last fight. So two really bad-looking losses for Kamer in hindsight. And Tanner Bozer fights typically do not score exceptionally well. So it's a fight that, two fights that I don't really have all that much interest in. Talking about here, Diego Lopez against Gavin Tucker. I like the spot for Diego Lopez. I was really impressed with him in his last performance against Mosfar Ivaloev. Now, I know that against Ivaloev, he ended up losing the fight, and Ivaloev put up a really good fantasy score, but Lopez looked dangerous on the feet. He also threatened with submissions and had Ivaloev in some real danger points in times during that fight. He hurt Ivaloev, I want to say, pretty early into the first round, if memory serves correct here. So I know that the overall stats there don't look all that impressive. 37 significant strikes, no takedowns, but he was fighting a stud in most of our evil love. He also took that fight on short notice. He's going to be fighting an aged Gavin Tucker here. Gavin Tucker is 37 years old, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 37 Tucker recently turned. And Tucker is somebody who's had a lot of injury issues. We don't see him all that frequently fight in the UFC. So I do worry what he's going to look like where we've not seen him since he was knocked out by Dan Ige over two years ago before then. He had taken a few months off before then. Also, he had taken uh, a a little bit of time off. So there's been a lot of gaps in between fights for Gavin Tucker at times over the course of his career. And Diego Lopez is a young fighter who I was really impressed with in his fight against Mosfar Ivalov. If he's able to get this fight to the ground against Gavin Tucker, I think he's going to threaten for submission. I do think he's fairly dangerous on the feet as well. So I like Diego Lopez. I'm going to be playing him in all formats. And in terms of our current ownership projections, we have Diego Lopez projected for 27% ownership. So it's not like he's all that popular of a fighter. And that's another thing that has me liking him in this mid-range at 8,300. If he's only going to be 27% owned when the slate locks tomorrow, I think he's going to be overweight too. A lot of finishing equity as well with Diego Lopez. Like him in all formats as well. Going to be playing him for sure as well in some of my Rainmakers lineups. Going through, already talked about these couple of fights. Now let's talk about Ignacio Bahamondes against Ludovic Klein. And the one thing I get concerned about when it comes to Bahamondes is that in his last fight, he was pretty conservative with the output on his feet. He ended up landing 99 significant strikes against Trey Ogden, which is not all that much for a fight where Ogden was kind of just a punching bag, never really threatened Bahamondes in any kind of real significant way. So I just worry if he doesn't get a quick finish here against Ludovic Klein, like what is the score ultimately look like for Baja Mondes and he's $9,100. So I prefer more on Rainmakers where we don't have to worry as much about the salary cap. I pick him to win over Ludovic Klein, but I just worry like what is it, what is a real, what does a real winning score look like on average for Baja Mondes outside of an early finish, which I don't think is all that likely to happen in this fight. It's one that I think could present issues for him. And then also I think Ludovic Klein's probably going to look to wrestle and grapple in this fight. And that could be sequences that kind of stall out the fight at times. So I would say that Ludovic Klein is a live underdog. I don't think he's worth, 
I, I think he's worth taking some shots in for classic DFS contest relative to the price point. But it's another fight where I don't really have a massive amount of interest or a crazy lean in terms of which way I would rather go for classic DFS contests. Here's a fight I am interested in. Kyler Phillips against Haoni Barcelos. And Phillips has always been a fighter who's super, super dangerous and really athletic in the first round of his fights. And then he tends to gas out. And he's also coming off a PED suspension. Now, I know that they're blaming it on the uh, the that it was a, a, like a GNC, something got over the counter. It was a tainted supplement. I'm always skeptical when fighters use that as an excuse. So we'll see what Kyler Phillips ultimately ends up looking like when he gets into the octagon tomorrow. But a little bit of a layoff for him. We haven't seen him fight in about a year and a half, which, you know, is always going to be concerning, especially when he is a fighter who at times has had concerns with his cardio and gassing out later into fights. But now, here's what we have to talk about on the other side. When it comes to Haoni Barcelos, who's a fighter who I used to think was massively underrated in the bantamweight division, but he's not looked so great in his recent outings. Gets starched by Umar Nurmagomedov. All right, maybe no real shame in that. He fights against Trevin Jones, and Jones didn't look great in that fight. There wasn't too much that happened. Barcelos had the chance to finish the fight, but like didn't really go all out for it. Barcelos looked terrible in a loss to Victor Henry. He also should have been able to finish Timor Valia, but never really went for the kill in that fight. And given the age now of Haoni Barcelos and the fact that he just got absolutely starched by Umar Namagomedov, think about all the damage that he took in that fight against Victor Henry. I think we should be concerned about the durability of Barcelos and Kyler Phillips. While I'm concerned about what he's going to look like in round two and round three, if there's actually a compromised chin here for Barcelos, it might not matter what what Phillips looks like in round two and round three. So I'm actually going to take Phillips to win by round one KO. Barcelos is a live underdog just because I think he's very live to win if this fight gets extended. But I'm picking Kyler Phillips to win. I like playing both sides of this fight. Going to lean more towards Kyler Phillips, though, in the DFS side of things. For the next fight here, Jeremiah Wells against Carlston Harris. I've never been super impressed with Jeremiah Wells. And he's always, in my opinion, over-owned for DFS contests. And this is a really close fight between him and Carlston Harris. But if you look at our ownership projections now over at stochastic.com, by the way, if you guys ever want to sign up for a package, there's a link below. And we sign up for the first time, you get 50% off any package you sign up for. Well, if you look at Jeremiah Wells, we currently have him projected to be the sixth most popular fighter on the entire slate. And we're projecting Carlston Harris to be a fairly contrarian option. Harris is currently projected for mid 20% ownership. So if there's going to be a much higher own side of this fight in Jeremiah Wells, when he's also the more expensive fighter, I'm going to lean towards the Carlston Harris side. Wells is really dangerous early on in some of his fights. We saw him knock out Court McGee really early. He got the submission over Blood Diamond. But I'm just not that impressed with somebody who could submit Blood Diamond, especially when you look at he only landed one of five takedowns against Blood Diamond, who basically is no takedown or submission defense. And then in the fight that Jeremiah Wells had against Matthew Semelsberg, by the, by the way, the performance against Cormagy, super impressive, but Cormagy hasn't looked great in his recent fights, so it's hard to give him too much credit for that. Then the fight against Matthew Semelsberger, Semelsberger just fought with zero fight IQ. He immediately had Jeremiah Wells hurt in that fight, wasn't able to get him out of there, and we saw every single round start the same way in that fight. Matthew Semelsberger hurts Jeremiah Wells on the feet to start the round, he gets over-aggressive hunting for the finish. Wells was able to take him down and then control him on the mat and was able to stall out the rounds while he was able to recover. And that was ultimately enough for him to win the fight. 
But Carlson Harris is a much more well-rounded fighter than Matthew Semmelsberger. I'm strongly considering betting Carlson Harris. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but I think I might bet him at an underdog price point here. For DraftKings contest, like I said, where he's going to be the cheaper fighter at $7,700, it appears he's going to be lower owned than Carlson Harris, who's projected to be a really chalky fighter on the card. Give me Carlson Harris as a leverage play on this slate. A lot of the stats lean towards him as well. He lands strikes at a higher output. If you look at the takedown defense, it's 75% for Carlson Harris. And if Jeremiah Wells is going to try to take down Carlson Harris and doesn't have success, I think he gets tired. We've seen Jeremiah Wells gas on the regional scene in some of the later rounds in some of his fights. So I think this is a pretty decent matchup for Carlson Harris. And I think that he's getting slept on because some of Jeremiah Wells' wins have had such big fantasy scores. So I'm picking Carlson Harris to win here, and he's one of my favorite leverage plays for DraftKings purposes. The next fight here is Billy Quarantillo against Damon Jackson. And uh, these two fighters are both expected to be really popular in this fight. We got Damon Jackson projected for around 30% ownership, and then Billy Q projected for 36% ownership. And I have to go towards the Billy Quarantillo side of this because I think that on the feet, he's going to have a massive striking advantage, and there's just going to be so much more output. On his side of the fight, he lands 7.86 significant strikes per minute to 2.78 on the other side for Damon Jackson. And then also you have to consider that Damon Jackson has gotten knocked out a handful of times. He got knocked out by Ilya Tapuria. He got knocked out by Dan Ige. Where's his durability at right now? I don't know. I tend to think it's not great. He's never looked all that great to me on the feet. When he does win fights, he's kind of reliant on grappling, getting top control time. And Billy Quarantillo can certainly be taken down. He only has a 58% takedown defense, but we don't really see that many people control Billy Quarantillo on the ground once they take him down. He's very active. He want, he definitely grinds on everybody's cardio. So Damon Jackson, if he wins, he probably has to push Quarantillo up against the fence and rinse and repeat takedowns against him, which maybe works for the first round, but I don't know that he's able to keep up that pace for an entire three rounds. I don't need to do it for 15 minutes. So I like Billy Quarantillo to win. I think he could put a lot of volume on Jackson in this fight. I think he's very live for a late round finish as well. So I don't mind taking shots on Billy Quarantillo by second or third round finish. And then also, I like Billy Quarantillo on the money line. His best available line right now is minus 160 at Caesars. I think it's a very playable bet. So I'm going to be betting Billy Quarantillo in this spot. Also really like him for both Rainmakers and for classic DFS contests. Few fights left to talk about here. And yeah, just going to go through all of them, same like I did last week. Cody Durden against Jake Hadley. Durden looked really good in his last win. And we have seen at times Cody Durden have cardio issues where he gets tired in the later stage of his fight. To an extent, he got tired against Charles Johnson, but he landed 11 of 18 takedowns. Anybody's going to get tired when they attempt 18 takedowns and land 11 of them in a three round fight. I thought he looked awesome. The one concern I have is that Durden did take this fight on short notice. He said himself this was a fairly difficult weight cut for him. Does that mean that the cardio concerns start to rear their ugly head again? Potentially. But I think this is a really good fight to play both sides of as well. Jake Hadley, I am probably a little bit lighter on him than what most people are on him as a prospect, especially because he only defends takedowns at a 37% clip. So... I like Durden as a live underdog, another one who I'm considering betting. I think both sides are worth rostering in DFS just in the event that Cody Durden does get tired like we've seen in the past. But a lot of the numbers do line up to say that Durden 
probably should be favored in this fight. When you have somebody who just landed 11 takedowns in a fight, lands 5.73 takedowns per 15 minutes, and he's fighting somebody who only, takes down, who only defends takedowns at a 37% clip. I strongly am going to lean towards the Durden side in DFS contest. I'll play some of Hadley just because if Durden does get tired, I think Hadley is live for a late round finish. Also, maybe he could snap up the neck of Cody Durden while he's shooting in for a takedown. But outside of that, I like the Durden side of this, and I think he could score really well in a win on DraftKings with all this takedown output. Couple fights left to talk about here. Sean Woodson against Dennis Bazookja. And one thing that really concerns me about the Bazookja side is that he's taking this fight on only three days notice. And from everything we've seen online, he had to cut 24 pounds in three days and he still didn't make weight. But unfortunately, he only missed it by a half pound. So he still has to surrender part of his purse to Sean Woodson. And how drained is he going to be from that weight cut and the fact that he didn't have ample time to prepare for this fight? So Sean Woodson is somebody who lands pretty high output on the feed, 5.56 significant strikes per minute. We've sent Bazooka a fight on the Contender Series, but not in the actual UFC yet. He had two Contender Series fights, a loss against Bogdasarian, which in hindsight isn't a terrible loss. I think Bogdasarian's really established himself as a UFC caliber talent at this point. And then also a uh, win over Calio Romero, where Bazooka looked okay, but there wasn't really a lot of output in that fight. And that's where I start to look at this spot and say like, all right, if he just was in a fight where he wasn't really able to put up that much output against a lower level opponent in Romero, what's going to happen against Woodson, who's very, very rangy at this weight class and throws out a ton of output, lands 5.56 significant strikes per minute. I like Woodson to keep this at a distance and put up really high significant strike numbers against Bazooka. And then also look at the reach difference. Eight-inch reach advantage and a five-inch height advantage for Sean Woodson. I think it's going to make a really big difference. So I'm going to take Woodson to win here. And also somebody who I really like for all formats over on DraftKings. I think he's a really good DFS target. Uh, just a tough spot for Bazooka having to cut all of that weight on short notice and then still coming up a half pound short, which signals to me that he left potentially a part of himself on that scale because he did everything he could to make that weight and came just a half pound short. You know that if he already cut those 24 pounds, he wanted to cut that extra half pound, and his body physically would not let him anymore. It's going to be Woodson to win, and I think he's live to put up a pretty good DFS score as well. The problem with Sean Woodson for classic contests, which is not an issue as much for Rainmaker's purposes, Woodson is $9,600. That is such a steep price point. There's so many good high-priced fighters that I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to prioritize Woodson. I don't think he's a bad contrarian play. We only have a project for 10% ownership. So if you're playing a bunch of lineups, it's worth coming in overweight to the 10% mark. But you just can't prioritize him something like a cash game when he's that expensive. Prefer him for Rainmakers, for sure. Final fight here. Ode Osborne against Asu Almabayev. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And Almabayev. He's going to be mostly a wrestler-grappler type. I'm not sure how much upside he has for DFS purposes because he's not super active on the ground. He goes for takedowns, he gets them, but then he's really conservative. He doesn't really hunt for finishes. So I do think that this is a fight where the winner, unless it's a quick finish for Ode Osborne or if Almabayev finds a submission, I just don't think this is a fight that has all that much DFS upside in it. It is a UFC debut for Almabayev. Osborne is a UFC veteran. He's also super explosive. So there's certainly a scenario here where Ode Osborne is able to land something like a flying knee in the early going and is able to get a finish. So 
I think he's live as an underdog, but it's overall a fight that I don't have that much interest in because I think that the most likely scenario is that Amabayev wins mostly through grappling and control time, probably lands something like two or three takedowns and just finishes the round holding control time. And then I don't think a whole lot else happens in a lot of those rounds. And then the other thing that happens too is if Osborne doesn't get the finish in the first or early second rounds, he could just get stuck on the bottom in some of these spots. So I'm going to take Amabayev to win by decision. And it's not a fight that I really love for DraftKings purposes. I'm taking one side. I'm going to lean towards Osborne because I do think he's a little bit more finishing equity. Now let's go ahead and build out a uh, Rainmakers lineup. So I've got some cards for this event. Not quite as many as I've had for some other ones, uh, especially because I have Umar cards. And obviously, he's not on the event anymore. He got scratched. But I did open up a few packs, got really lucky, pulled a Tatiana Suarez Elite in one of the 15 packs that I opened. And I also have one Corey Sandhagen Elite as well. But I'm going to check the different Elite cards I have. I also have a ton of Andrage cards just because I got a bunch for in packs at the beginning of the year. Got a couple Sean Woodsons here. So I'm going to put Tatiana Suarez in the captain spot. And then I'll throw one of my other Woodson elites in here as well. And then as for the rare cards I'll put in, I think Sanhagen, you either want Sanhagen or Font in all of your lineups. And since I really, really do prefer Sanhagen on this, in this fight and on this card, I'm going to have them nearly all my Rainmakers lineups. I'll only play the Rob Fonts that I just have a few of them in my collection from earlier in the year. All right, so two fighters left that I need. Got Billy Quarantillo, Hadley, Durden. I'll throw Durden in here to mix it up a little bit. Like I said, I think he scores really well in a win in this fight. And Billy Quarantillo as well, going up against Damon Jackson. A lot of fighters I think have a lot of scoring upside. Tatiana Suarez, very live for a first or early second round submission. Sean Woodson, somebody who uh, is a decent size favorite that I think should have advantage over Bazucha, especially because he took the fight on short notice. Sanhagen, main event favorite, always scores well in his win, so I expect a lot from him. And then uh, Cody Durden, wrestling grappling advantage. I think he put, could put up eight, nine, ten takedowns in this matchup. And then Billy Q against Damon Jackson. Billy Q is somebody else who typically scores really well in his DFS win. So going to submit this lineup. We're good to go. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching again this week. I hope that we keep our recent run going because uh, it's definitely been a pretty good hot streak of UFC. A lot of people have messaged and commented some really positive things. I really do appreciate it. And one other thing if you could do to help me out, just like this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Only going to take you a couple seconds and help support our free content a whole bunch. Good luck with all your lineups this week. See you guys here again for next week's card. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks. The most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100.
prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.